Shri Guru Parampara ki jai, Guru Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Morning everyone, nice to be with you. So typically in the mornings here, in previous visits, I've just been asking for questions. So we'll open the floor for that. Any questions? We had a question, I guess more of a curiosity. We were having a discussion yesterday and we were trying to play it in our minds if um, Harag Bhakti is present in, in Mathura and Dwarka. Uh-huh. So Raghunuga Bhakti is a, t- is a type of bhakti. There's two types of bhakti in a broader sense. Uh, As explained by Rupa Goswami, Vaidhi Bhakti and Rag Bhakti. Why don't you close the door? Yeah. So, thank you. And um, to compare them, or to perhaps um, say something that will shed light on the difference between the two. It's Mother's Day, so I'll use an example from motherhood. Um, If a mother is taking care of her son, let's say, then the same labor that is involved in that is also performed by a, I want to say a babysitter, hmm, when the mother's absent. Hmm, obviously not all the duties, but uh, in a, other cultures, you, you know, you might have a neighboring mother take care of your kids, or sometimes. Anyway, so... The service, the actions, the, the functions, the duties, the responsibilities, all that involves to take care of the kids is the same. But you can understand that the disposition, the feeling is a little different at the same time. One is the duty, the responsibility that uh, the babysitter is performing, and um, the other one the sense that it's a duty and a responsibility is is lost in the labor of love, as they say. So there's some spontaneity to it, uh, comparatively. So, so there's a type of bhakti that's motivated by um, the scriptural statements as to the efficacy of bhakti, as to uh, um, its importance, why you should do it, why you shouldn't do it. Um, and that type of motivation is a dutiful type of motivation. Maybe to avoid something negative, that if you don't do bhakti, to attain something positive if you do. Um, and then rag bhakti, the same activities are there, hearing, chanting, for example. 
worshiping the deity and so forth. But it's um, it's driven by taste, by feeling. And um, it's not to say that in Bhaiti Bhakti there's no feeling or no feeling comes. Um, but the... Um, There's a difference between dutiful love and, uh, use Prabhupada's term, uh, spontaneous love. I'll give, give you another uh, term, a couple terms to think about it with. Pujapachita Maharaj talked about calculated love and non-calculated love, or um, self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness. So you might consciously make a self-sacrifice. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to make a self-sacrifice and I'm going to let you go first or you have the last piece of pizza or whatever. I'm going to make a self-sacrifice. It's a conscious, um, calculative, I don't mean in a bad way, but you make a calculation, I should do this, I should make a sacrifice, and, and so forth. Um, so. Uh, um, self-sacrifice and then on the other end of the spectrum self-forgetfulness so there may be an instance let's say for example that a man is walking down the street and he sees smoke in a building and and a girl is screaming so he doesn't think about it he doesn't think smoke there's a girl he just kind of spontaneously goes or let's say in wartime or something, somebody just rises to the occasion, and or in sports or something, they, they they just rise to the occasion and do something extraordinary in in the in the event of saving a girl, for example, or in a military example, a person is given an award, the TV comes and interviews them, and he says, you know, I just did it. I mean, you know, I didn't think about it. Right? There wasn't time to think about it. I just did it. I for, I, I forgot myself in the context of doing it. I forgot. I mean, you could have burned in the house and, and, and so many things, and, but uh, and he just forgot about it and himself. And with it. So, self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice, they're both good. Hmm? And um, in one sense, love is, is born out of the womb of sacrifice. And that's where these two have some connection between one another. Vaiti bhakti, the, the dutiful bhakti, and rag bhakti, the spontaneous bhakti. They do have some connection, even while they constitute paths unto themselves that lead to different transcendental destinations. So, as paths unto themselves, for example, they, one, dutiful love leads to a loving ideal that is imbued with reverence and respect for the deity, typically what we refer to as the kind of love in Vaikuntha, where Narayan, for example, is four-armed, and you know that he's God because he's got four arms. <laughs> and, uh, and the atmosphere is overtly uh, transcendental. You know you're in a different place altogether. Um, 
and again, the love is 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 imbued with reverence. So typically, the mood there is dasya. Dasya means servitude. It's a servile love. Everyone's a servant. There are some in what's called shanta, which means neutral love, which is like passive adoration, hmm? like a meditative love, passive adoration, not concerned with Narayan's qualities or leelas, but with this, the, the beatific vision, use a Catholic term, of his his form. And then then the dasya, where there's active engagement with Narayan in, in Vaikuntha, but it's all reverential. Hmm? I had the good fortune once in Trivendram in South India to enter the Padmanabh Chetra temple. I mean, the temple is a city itself. And uh, the big walls around, and once you go inside, it's like you just went into another another world. And there the deity of of uh, Padmanabha, a, f- a form of Narayan, is like 24 feet long, lying down like this. And... Um, and then there are little temples within the big temple of Nishinga, of Gopal Krishna, of Ram, and, and so forth. And the idea in there is that Narayan is the source of all the avatars and, and so forth. So I was there and it was Ekadasi. So they have this huge festival for Ekadasi, which happens twice a month on the waning and the waxing, 11th days of the, of the moon. Waning and wa- 11th day of the waning and 11th day of the waxing moon. So anyway, they, they had this festival and then they had like a whole procession would, and they had a small uh, Vijay Murti, it's called, a small representation of the large deity on a palanquin. They were carrying him around and they would stop every so many feet and trumpets would blow and kettle drums would, would beat and Brahmins would chant mantras and was like whoa, you know, who really kind of otherworldly and uh, full of. You felt like somebody important is 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 in here, and there's a procession, and so forth. So, this is a uh, uh, Vaikuntha, mm. and then Rag Bhakti, as a path unto itself, leads more typically to the what we call Aprakrita. Adhoksaja means beyond and ex- extraordinary. Prakrita means ordinary, and aprakrita means it looks ordinary, but it's not. That's Krishna Leela, where there's much possibility for love and, and intimacy. There, the inhabitants of, of Goloka, this plane, they don't have um, really any sense that Krishna is God, because if they did it would create some distance between themselves and him. So they think of him rather than just as, as, as servants, for example, as friends, as lovers, as parental love is also manifest there. <clears throat> so in, in, in Vaikuntha, God doesn't have a mother and a father. But in Goloka, Krishna has a father and a mother. And, and, they, and incidentally, in Goloka, they worship Narayan. Hmm? This is one of the ways in which these two paths cross over. <laughs> because they're in the perfection of the Rag Marg, they're loving Krishna like a friend, like a lover, like, uh, like, like a parent. And they're in the, in the context of the Leela, they're religious people. So they worship Narayan, who's God, in their home. They do Arctic to Narayan, but their minds are somewhere else. Hmm? A little different than us. Sometimes someone may do the Arctic, but their mind may be somewhere else. Someone may be 
when they chant, their mind may be somewhere else. So they're chanting the mantras to Narayan, but their mind is somewhere else. And where is it? It's on Krishna. Hmm? So they're worshiping God dutifully in the context of their actually being spontaneously in love with Krishna, who's a form in which intimacy with the Godhead can be shared. And when he does wonderful things in Vrindavan, they think somehow Narayan has chosen him to do something wonderful through. Hmm? Um, but he's, but we know he's not really God because he does wonderful things occasionally, but he also throws tantrums and uh, and uh, his, and uh, and uh, sometimes we defeat him in wrestling. His friends say and so forth. So enough of that. He's he, God is one thing, Krishna is another thing. So this is their delusion, if you will, kind of um, a, uh, uh, a divine ignorance that that is necessary in order for there to be the kind of intimacy with which they, uh, which, they, which, they de- which they desire. So these paths lead to different realms under themselves. And at the same time, this is one of the ways I'm talking about, there's a crossover within Ragmarg, Vaidimarg is also manifesting in the way like I've explained. But there's another way in which they cross over as well, which is important for us. And that is that that it's uh, difficult to start out just doing bhakti out of taste for bhakti. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of us here are doing bhakti because we heard it was a good thing to do and there were other things that weren't good for doing and it was good for you and, and so on and so forth. So actually the scriptural arguments, if you will, have motivated us rather than taste. Now, at the same time, there are scriptural arguments about rag bhakti and its extraordinary nature and, and, and so forth. And so we're also hearing those. So we become interested in rag bhakti as an ideal. We don't want to go to Vaikuntha. I told the story when I was just a kid. In 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 I was living in, in in Los Angeles at the temple there. One of the older devotees, he was a kid too. <laughs> he said, "You know, that I was a newer devotee." And he said, "The vast majority of the devotees don't go to Krishna's abode. They go to Vaikuntha. That's where they go." And he kind of just laid that on me, and I just. I couldn't accept it. I went before the deity and I wept and I wept. And how is it possible? I can't. I just, I've heard about Krishna Loka. I want to go with Krishna. I couldn't relate. Later I found out he was wrong, but uh, <laughs> so much for the older devotees sometimes. But um, so this is the kind of spirit that we get relative to our association. So if we associate with the Ragmarg, which the Gaudiya lineage is all about, it's all about entering into Vrindavan. Hmm? And we talked about a little bit last night, the different windows of opportunity to enter there, that it affords us to love Krishna as a friend, to love Krishna in, in, in Madhurya or conjugal love, and in that, by way of attaching yourself to, to the service of Radha and assisting her in her romantic affairs with Krishna. So um, we've been touched by that through our, our, our parampara 
and the songs and the books, they're all saturated with these feelings, these sentiments. So they come to us, even if we don't know that much about these details, and then if we were to sit down and sort it all out and talk about it a little bit like we are today, probably most of us would say, yeah, I, I want to go to Goloka, <laughs> I want to go to Baikunta. Yeah, that sounds right. And why it sounds right is because we have a sympathetic heart for that that's been created, so to speak, without our knowing about it kind of invisibly through association with persons from that, with that ideal. And um, and so here we are oriented towards the ideal of the Rag Marg, but we're still motivated to some extent by scriptural injunctions that say you should do it or, or why you shouldn't do it, and we're motivated on both ways to, to pursue it. Um, out of prospect, something out of fear, <laughs> something out of some some extent dutifully. I made a vow. I will do it. Hmm. Something like this, but that is the vitae kind of component of our present orientation and motivation. But at the same time, that we have that motivation, we don't have the ideal of Vaikuntha to attain, but rather the ideal of Goloka. So it seems to be like, wait a minute, I've got this motivation that should end up in Vaikuntha, but I have my ideal, nonetheless, to be in, in, in Krishna Leela. Hmm? So this is a way that there's an overlap between the Vaidhi and the Ragmarg. Hmm? Ragmarg is, is characterized by Shraddha, faith, which gives us the ability to tread the path. All the bhakti is 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 characterized as I would say the, the 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 eligibility for bhakti is thought to be faith. What what that means incidentally is that in order to do anything really to move forward, we have to have some faith or some let's call it conviction. You have some conviction that if I do this, or strong feeling that if I do this, that it will be the best thing to do. That's why in the Gita, Krishna says that ayam purushaha. A person is their faith. Faith is the animating principle of life. To give it a, the, the, the converse of that, Pujapatrita Maharaj used to sometimes evoke the, invoke this saying of his that suspicion leads to suspension. So if we have doubt, then we're, we're suspended. Like we can sit and listen to me speak, for example, or anyone, uh, and we, we kind of like want to listen with our heads, and filter it through, you know, maybe. I kind of got that part, and then we, in a way, without consciously doing it, we're kind of guarding our heart. Hmm, whether we're going to let it in or not. Hmm? If the speaker's good enough, then he or she can kind of like arrest our intelligence, and kind of put it aside, and just do heart surgery, and, and it may cause some bhakti scars to go deeply. Impressions of bhakti go deeply into our our consciousness. That will then be motivators, un- unknowingly tendencies to, to, to act in relation to bhakti within us, so to speak. Hmm. So, so, so faith is the animating principle. It's, uh, I think in a Latin credo, it, it's, it has some, it implies some action. It's not a fence-sitting affair. If you got it, you're off the fence, and you're on. You're in the pasture, and you're, you're not just thinking that looks like good grass over there. No, you're there, tasting it. 
That's why we say that 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 reason, on the other on the other hand, reason um, is most complete and most beautiful when it ad- when it adorns faith, when it serves faith. Ordinarily, and now in materialistic society, it's thought that faith is some departure from from reason. Well, you don't have reason, so you just made up. You believe in in something, hmm? but um, but the power of reason to apprehend and is 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 is, is limited hmm? to understand. Reason is is uh, is according to I think it's. Reasonable <laughs> to say that reason is is unconclusive, inconclusive. It's inconclusive, inclusive in some areas, but it's not a vehicle or a media by which we can arrive at conclusive knowledge, which means knowledge by which we can become perfectly happy. Hmm? So, how to proceed by reason? There's oh, so many different ways to look at it, and so forth. Uh, but there's a there's um, but faith. And reason is a function of doubting. We doubt, we question, and faith means that there's the absence of the doubting. Hmm? So it's, it's, it's in a sense, it, it, as I'm speaking about, it's beyond reason. There, and often, of course, faith, when people differentiate it from reason and, and speak about it more or less in a derogatory way, like, oh, well, yeah, you believe that, but what are the facts? Um, they're talking about faith that's blind, so to speak. There may be, if there's blind faith or not well-reasoned faith, then there reasonably is to be, is faith that's not blind, that's well-reasoned. I often invoke the term love that's, that's wise. Hmm. Um, so the argument in the scripture, there's a strong argument in the scripture for the limitations of reason and at the same time the fullest application of, of reason to support faith because Revelation, the sacred text, is is something coming from beyond reason. Reason, of course, is a is a material faculty as we think of it. Hmm? Mind, intellect, the physical. These are all part of our our problem, if you will. These are karmic manifestations, so they're not under themselves the solution. They're part of imperfection. Hmm? Our present experience of imperfection. And perfection does not lie within imperfection. So, nonetheless, perfection is so is such that it can use imperfect things hmm? most perfectly to assist in the pursuit of perfection. So there's a place for reason. Unto itself, you can't arrive at perfect knowing. Hmm? For that, you have to have a perfect method. We say this is the perfect method. Faith is something like acknowledging that it's bigger than my head, the reality. And so it, it's not going to fit in there entirely. Hmm. Um, no, life itself is full of contradictions, isn't it? Hmm. I've given an example many times and that how I, I, I came into the Bathroom in the ashram in, the, in our ashram in California, Northern California, Adari, and I saw a web, a spider's web with a fly in it. So I reached to free the fly from the web, and then along came the spider at the same time. So this is the, this is material life. 
you want to free the spider, but then the, or the, the fly, but then the spider is going to miss out on his dinner. So, wh- who do you, you know, how do you solve the, the problem here? Hmm? This is the problem with the moral realm. Hmm? You press down here, it comes up over here. If we're, there's a sense that there's a moral good because it derives from an absolute good and is a shadow of that. Hmm? But to arrive at an absolute and perfect good within the moral realm is, is, is not possible. Hmm? To save one is to hurt another. One person's funeral is another, you know, another species festival. It's a problem. <laughs> and so, so by action within karma, you, you press down here, it comes up over there. It, it, you try to do the best you can. We should live the best life we can, but we, as, as devotees, we come to the conclusion that the, the good, the perfection, the, the perfect good that we want, it's not going to be found within the moral realm. Hmm? That's a sattvic kind of a way of thinking or conclusion to be arrived at. So then, so action is under the rajaguna. You want to improve yourself materially. The whole political realm is the rajaguna, to improve um, the country. To uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but this is action, to improve the material condition. That's rajas. Tamas is like decay and delusion and laziness, for example, it might manifest as intoxication. And, and uh, it's the other end of the spectrum of sattva. Rajas is in the middle. It's the, move, it's the, the movement. Then you have tamas as inertia and sattva as intelligibility. Hmm? And manifests either in the psyche and in, and in, the, in, the, in, in, in gross matter as well. So, uh, while rajas governs karma and the idea of material betterment, uh, according to the scriptural argument, like going to heaven, living for millions of years there, enjoying materially with no negative repercussions until the clock winds down to zero after ten zillion years, and again, you can come down. So, that's, so it's, again, it's up and down, up and down. Hmm? Krishna says, from the highest material planet down to the lowest, one has to take birth again. And that's, he says, the difference between my abode hmm, and every other material possibility. Hmm. So, a place of no return. So while movement... Hmm, under rajas is the pursuit of the moral uh, good to some extent. Sattva, virtue, virtuous morality too, but the full measure of sattva comes to knowledge that there's another way to solve this problem and it's not by moving around here and there but going within and, and knowing the self and not trying to find perfect happiness in relation to things and enduring happiness, which it would be in relation to things that don't endure and that are here today and you know gone tomorrow, and they're different than what they looked like or what I thought they were, and so forth. So again, you have this this movement from from movement to to stillness, from rajas to sattva. Hmm? 
and in sattva there's some clarity, there's knowledge about the self. So this is the beginning then of, we have to lift off from there, of course, beyond sattva, to attain the whole good, hmm? the whole good that we're a unit of. You're trying to do good, but you are good, hmm? something like that. So, so we may come to the conclusion that, that, that the, the, the ultimate good, platonic sense of ultimate good, is not found in the moral realm unto, unto itself. And um, and come to uh, sattva, come to knowledge, and this again is the lifting off point. Bhakti, of course, includes movement and includes, includes knowing. Hmm? But we're talking about reason and reasoning about how to do the best thing and when we go from rajas to, to sattva, um, we've made some progress, but sattva is also part of the world, and rajas is part of the world. So the point is that knowledge or action under rajas and tamas, or excuse me, rajas, sattva and rajas respectively, cannot give us transcendence. Sattva can kind of lead you to the door and have clarity of thought and so forth. But in order to, to go to that side, to perfection, perfection has to descend to us. Perfection is such that it can use imperfect things hmm, in the context of helping us realize our perfection. So, so reason then can be used when we dismiss it as being an imperfect vehicle unto itself for coming to perfect knowing and perfect happiness. It doesn't mean it has no place. Indeed, the scripture taxes us to use our reason considerably. I mean, we are having a reasonable discussion here. You have to think about what's being said and so forth. So this is a good exercise of intelligence. Krishna says at the end of the Gita that one who studies this carefully in every way, upside down, inside out, thinks about what the words mean and so on and so forth and the context in which they appear, worships me with their intelligence. So intelligence, uh, reason, this discriminating faculty, it kind of reaches its its high point in one sense by discriminating between consciousness and matter, and the fact that I'm consciousness, not matter, and so I should I matter more than matter, and I should do something for myself rather than just moving the matter around, which doesn't really matter that much. So. <laughs> Uh, so then there are things that can be known uh, beyond the power of reason from from revelation as I said if we want a perfect way of knowing if we want perfect knowledge we have to have, the perf- have a perfect way of knowing so reason is not a perfect way it's an imperfect way this is the perfect way that it might descend. Pujapachita much once gave a nice um, explanation. He said that how can the finite know the infinite? Hmm? Finite cannot know the infinite. It's looking at, looking at it kind of mathematically. How can the finite contain the infinite? 
he said there's a way, and that is that if the fine, if infinite wants the finite to know itself, then the infinite can be known within the finite because the infinite is such infinite possibilities. From the finite's perspective, there are limited possibilities, but from the infinite's perspective, there are none. Hmm? So, if unto ourself we try to take the whole thing of existence and understand it, if you will, contain it in the fists of our intellect, not only will we be unsuccessful in doing that, but the very attempt is off-putting to the infinite itself. Hmm? So we'll be dismissed. I kind of break down the doors or something like that without asking to come in. Hmm? So should the infinite desire to reveal itself to the finite, then all possibilities exist there. It has that power. Hmm? So this is the idea of, of, of revelation. If God wants us to know about God, we can know about God. And the particular instruments that we have now for knowing are limited. Still they can be used, and they should be used to their fullest extent. So bhakti engages us physically, mentally, and, um, and intellectually. Indeed, the steady course of bhakti as a practice we call nishta, it's very much a stage when one's intellect is fully engaged in bhakti as well. Hmm? One's thought about it and, and, and a scriptural argument and then so understanding um, is um, greater understanding, I should say. Intellectual involvement is, is part of the fuel of my, my practice. That will lead to taste. So we're coming to taste again, which we need. But my point is that what? That faith that there's, that, that, I'll give another example, Grover Cleaver, Cleveland, I like this, he said that, uh, that if you love someone, they will tell you all their secrets. So this kind of approach to knowing, to understanding our predicament and what life is and so forth, hmm, is different than one that's driven by wanting to conquer the whole thing, if you will, and put it under the microscope and control it and so forth. To acknowledge from the beginning, it's beyond my grasp. I'm a part of it all. If the whole will speak to me as the part, I'll know my part and I'll plug in there and, and, and so forth. So bhakti is this kind of approach, to approach the, the inquiry as to the nature of reality and being and my source with with gratitude, with the idea that it's, it's greater than me and so forth. This is what we find in Brahma, as he's explained in the Bhagavatam, to be in pursuit of his origin and he has this, so he does sacrifice, he goes within, he, he, he becomes prayerful and, and so knowledge comes, tapa, tapa, do this. And, he proceeds and so forth. So, this is different than than the modern kind of way of of knowing, where we do find out some things, but we find out sometimes what we found out was right was wrong, more wrong than right, and it provided the convenience here, but it it might pollute the world there and and uh, and so forth. So, um, you know, a long time ago, a few hundred years ago. Philosophy was divorced, if you will, from from theology and the, and the scriptural 
kind of argument. Philosophy used to be a handmaiden of theology, <coughs> and now it's like it's just like the mind. You just think whatever you want. You think as much as you want. Just like exercise the mind, intellect, collect some data, which is what science is. Just collecting facts. As I said the other night, when people and sometimes in science want to just retire philosophy, I don't know how they can do that because <laughs> science purely is just collecting facts, information. Then you have to decide how they work together, what they um, what they might mean, and so forth. So, so perfect knowing by knowing by revelation. So th- this is what bhakti is about. It's faith. In, as I said, faith gives us eligibility to, tra- to, to, to pursue the path of bhakti. Faith in these ge- just general ideas that, 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 that perfect knowing comes from up to down. It will, there's something called revelation. Um, and there's, I'm imperf- in, a, in a stage of, in a condition of imperfection, and perfection will reveal itself to me. And then I, accordingly, I may, I may know if it wants me to know. That's a perfect way of knowing. Hmm? And so we we turn to the to the to the to the, the saints and uh, and the sacred texts and so forth, and we use our intellect. So we're, now we're using reasoning to reason about revelation and its implications and ramifications and so on and so forth. So we're fully using our reasoning, but it's now become an ornament of the faith that orients us in a particular way to begin with, that that has a doubt in the efficacy of reason unto itself. Hmm? to arrive at perfect knowing and perfect, which would mean perfect happiness. Hmm? So, so faith, faith, this gives us eligibility. In bhakti, all you need is faith, it said. It means also that, as I say, you need faith to do anything, but in all the different paths, uh, for example, within Hinduism, you need faith, but you need something else, too. For example, in, in Patanjali's yoga system, I'll give you an example. You need faith and you need to be celibate. So it's a, you know, a little bit more than just faith that is required to, to tread the path, he says. So there are, there's something from this side kind of that's required. Here we have in bhakti just faith that's come from where? It's come from people that are uh, embodiments of that divine faith and are sharing it with us, and we, it's a little bit contagious, so we, we, we catch it. Hmm? Um, so bhakti is entirely like this. In, in Gyan Marg, you need to practice detachment. Hmm? In bhakti, we just, we don't practice detachment, but we practice loving Krishna, and in the context of loving Krishna, we, we, we come to know that certain things are not favorable for loving Krishna, so so we abandon them, we forgo them. That's kind of detachment as a byproduct of the path. Hmm? So you see, it's an effort, bhakti, but not like yoga or gyan is an effort. It's an effort to, to get grace, hmm? to, be, to be blessed, something like that. That's a very different type of effort. Hmm? It's putting the onus, to some extent, on the Godhead. You know, it's a... Yeah, you say you know we need all the help we can get. Well, there's a lot, so we're we're asking for it, something like that. Yoga means I need some help, but not, you know I can do something too. Hmm? And again, I mean, we're bringing something from this side, 
So jnana therefore results in understanding, in transcendence, the indi- undifferentiated, indeterminate absolute we call Brahman. Hmm? Yoga, yoga siddhanta, it has, and, and in jnana also, the sense of indiv- individual monad of consciousness is kind of obscured, and there's this idea of merging with, with, with Brahman, hmm? uh, doing away with your individuality, which is a problem because everybody's different, and, and so forth. So it's a, it's a kind of retiring the self altogether in the name of um, solving the problem. In yoga, then, there is a sense of the of of Ishwar or God and 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 a relationship between the self, but it's a relationship. In Yoga Siddhanta, the self is thought well in Wait Advaita Vedanta, which is thought to, is a pursuing the merging in Brahman, it said there is no self. There is no the self is a, is an illusion. That's not a very attractive idea. In yoga, the self is a witness. It's not a doer, it's not an agent of, of action, it's not a, a qualitative experiencer, it's just a witness. Hmm. At least you're there, <laughs> uh, but uh, but you're you're just a witness. Hmm. Um, so the perfection of yoga then is is to be the witness to have to attain shantarasa really, and it's, uh, the beatific vision, sit and observe passive uh, passive love. Hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in bhakti, then we have this active, uh, more so, this active service and and extending into intimacy of friendship and love and romantic love and and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, my point is that, anyway, my point is that faith is all we need in bhakti. We don't need to be this, that, or the other thing. But the material side, we don't. Celibacy is not a prerequisite for treading the path of bhakti. So it's very very generous. That may come about in us, or we may have many children like Bhakti Vinod, had ten children, and, and one of them is, uh, was, uh, gave birth to uh, our Guru Maharaj and this, his worldwide campaign. We're all part of that, so we're glad that Bhakti Vinod had a few kids. <laughs> <laughs> the idea there, of course, is that Bhakti has the power, as love does, to turn to resolve all contradictions, to turn faults into into ornaments. So in Gyanmark, to have a family is a fault. In other words, you're going to be distracted by family and other things. And but in Bhakti has the power to turn even the, that necessity that we may have materially into something that can bear fruit for us um, spiritually. And we can have a, we can have a significant other who can who is also a devotee and. Together we can inspire one another, and we can have kids, and we can teach them the teaching. And sometimes they might speak, and we go, "Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's supposed to be. That's what I taught you, right?" And we get reminded of it, and and so forth. Just like in olden days, people would decide to have a kid because they needed another farm hand. You know, or we, let's have a kid and have it be a doctor. We need a doctor in the family. We need an attorney. You know, we need an engineer, and so forth. It was very prag- pragmatic often. Hmm? So you can think we need you know we need one devote you know we need more devotees <laughs> and your whole house becomes a temple and you've got your mission there and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's a nice couple I met there, disciples of my godfather Parmadwiti Marsh, in uh, in Costa Rica where we have an ashram. 
and they have the father, the mother, the two daughters, and the two sons. It's a big family, and they're all devotees. They're all initiated by Parvati Marsh, and they have their own little mission where they have programs and they've got the cook and you know they've got the guy who gives the class and everything. They're whole complete unit. So this is the beauty of of of, of bhakti. It turns as they say, lemons in the lemonade or something like that. Mm. That's very powerful. So all it requires is the faith and in this descending method of, of, of knowing, kind of making yourself receptive to 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 that. Um, orientating your, orient, orienting yourself so that, that, that the Godhead might want to be disposed towards you or his devotees might. If we see someone that we feel... They're very humble, and and they're, and, and they're uh, <coughs> uh, have some interest. We might want to spend more time with them. We might think that what we say to them won't go in one ear and out the other. Hmm? So, you know, bhakti is just like for positioning yourself to attract the attention of Krishna and Krishna's devotees. That's all. That's why. Well, we see devotees. They dress like this. I remember when I was young, and and I before I joined. Prophet's mission. I visited the temple like all of us, and and and, and it was on New Year's Eve in Miami, and I was on my way to Jamaica to live in the jungles and meditate my life away. And I, I was uh, I was chanting Hare Krishna because I saw it on a pack of incense. And I thought this will that'll be my mantra, so I used to chant it to myself. <laughs> so I was going to meditate and. Uh, and uh, we, we had crash pads in those days, so we had my wife and I found a place to stay, and easily enough. And it was uh, New Year's Eve, and so um, uh, I think the yeah that night was New Year's Eve, and so you know we st- we stayed, and the next day was New Year's Eve. We spent the night, and then and then I. I went out, begged some vegetables somewhere, and we cooked a vegetable like stew for the for the for the house that we we stayed in. And so I said, "Hey, you know, I cooked this for you guys." And they said, "Well, we only eat raw food." I said, "Okay, sorry, <laughs> you know, I wanted to do something like that anyway, you know." And then it was getting on, and New Year's Eve was coming on. They were sitting around. They were all very. The house group was very morose, and they're. Their preoccupation was another year has gone by. We haven't realized ourselves, you know. And I thought, well, yeah, okay, you know. But I, they were like, kind of like downbeat about it, you know. I was, I'm kind of an optimistic type of person, so, so um, I was kind of not able to make any headway into this, you know, just having a conversation practically. And then I looked over on the shelf, and there was this big fat book. Said K R S N A with dots under. It looked very exotic, and I thought, "Hey, what's that book over there?" And then one guy said, "That's what you need. <laughs> That's what you. Need. <laughs> he couldn't have been more correct." So he he pulled out the book and he gave me the book and he said, "You know, he said you can." And they're over there, you know, those guys. So then I went to there, and it was New Year's Eve, and came in the temple and someone was giving a class. He was just ending the class and he said, so, Prabhupada said, he was talking about Prabhupada, he had been with Prabhupada. His name was Sridhar. I mean, he had been with Prabhupada in Los Angeles and he had had some personal service. He was talking about Prabhupada and making a garland for him and giving him a garland. I found it just very attractive the way he spoke about um, his teacher. 
And then he said, and Prabhupada said, so if we just bow down once and ask Krishna, please, Krishna, I'm yours, help me, then, you know, this yoga, that's all. So, class ended, and that's what I did, you know, <laughs> so forth. And then they were going out on Sankirtan for the night for New Year's Eve, chanting and giving out magazines, so we went out with them. And then in the morning, uh, he said, now we get up early in the morning. I said, okay, you know, so I got up, and he said, and then the same guy told me, this Naviyo, and some of you may know him. And he said, uh, you gotta, got to take a cold shower. And I said, okay. Uh, and and uh, why, and that's all, I've, you know, I wondered why, and then I said, and why do you shave your head? Because we didn't tend to shave our heads in those days. We had long hair. And so, and so he said, Prabhupada shaved his head. And that was kind of a stupid answer in a sense, but I really liked it. I thought, Wow, they really believe in this person. Whatever he does, they do. You know, so the imitation of a good thing is a good thing. So you you, you find somebody who who's affected you with their faith. It's been contagious and so forth. And so you kind of want to act like them, and in a simple way, you dress like them. You you do the things that they and you don't know it all, but gradually you learn it. <laughs> Something like that. The, the idea being that, well, if he loves Krishna, Krishna loves must love him, and he dresses like this, and he and you know, I'll just head like this. We got a little extreme. Yes, yes. No, it was backwards. You know, one of my godbrothers told me that I used to think that the spiritual way to say yes was like this. Because Indian would go, like, yes, probably good. Yes, yes, yes. And the material way was to go like this, as I learned. Saw so Prabhupada always go like. <laughs> so, but then when I went to India, I said everybody. Everybody went like this. <laughs> So, in a very simple way, I'm just saying we imitated Prabhupada, we dressed like him, we, you know, we had the same gestures, we started to speak English like he spoke English, you know. <laughs> we used to call it Benguish, you know, half Bengali, half English, and people must have thought we were crazy, and we were, but, uh, but Bhakti, you know, gradually edified us as well. I mean, I, I didn't go to school or anything, you know, I dropped out of school, barely graduated from high school, so all of my education comes from life of bhakti and trying to understand it and, and practice it so then and 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 uh, and, uh, and read and think and so forth in relation to bhakti what are the arguments out there? what do people think and so forth so so anyway the, the point is that that little faith in bhakti that we gather from we catch, so to speak, from persons who have it and are moving it, their lives animated by it. We find that attractive, meaningful, and profound, so that it affects us. And then we start to imitate that life, so to speak, and that's called sadhana bhakti. It's kind of like apprenticeship. And through those motions and so forth, you wear the tilak in the artik, and Krishna notices you, something like that. So, um, so this way, bhakti is all about inviting perfection, if you will, into perfection and thereby perfecting our, our own uh, lives. So, while shraddha, faith, is eligibility for bhakti, we're talking about two different kinds of bhakti, vaidhi bhakti and rag bhakti. So, vaidhi bhakti, eligibility to take part in it is faith, and rag bhakti is faith, but faith that is imbued with the certain certain kind of eagerness, taste, ruchi, uh, greed it's sometimes described for being with Krishna. Hmm? So, 
that's not something that just happens overnight, that you have greed for Krishna. Hmm? Um, it would ind- it indicates that you don't have the greed for anything else. So, so our situation in the beginning is what I'm saying is this: that there's the two paths, right? Vaidhi Marg it goes to reverential love, Rag Marg goes to love and intimacy. The practices are same, the motivation is different. Hmm? One is dutiful love, one is spontaneous love, and here we are somewhere in the middle. We've got we, uh, that's a kind of our ideal because of our association. But we don't have, we're not driven by taste, we're driven by the knowledge of rag bhakti, to some extent as we learn about it, but more so by the persons of rag bhakti who are influencing our lives hmm? and, and kind of creating an ideal within us, even unknowingly, hmm? to us, to some extent, um, even while teaching about it. We're getting a, I mean to say, we're getting a samskar, a transrational inclination for it. Hmm? That, that, our, that our reason then works around and goes, yeah, that makes, makes sense. Life's not run more psychologically than it is by reason. That's why you can have debates on a subject and, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> okay, that's a good point. It just goes, keeps going on because the debaters have, on the different sides, have a different psychology that disposes them to embrace the logic of that. And so from previous lives we have certain psychological disposition in, in which will cause us to be, you know, whatever, a Democrat or a Republican or, or whatever may be the case, and feel perfectly reasonably reasonable about, uh, you know, the, 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 the argument on one side or, or, or the other. Hmm. Similarly, if we have samskar for bhakti, influence of bhakti, then our reason starts to think, yeah, this is, makes perfect sense. Somebody else may hear and go, ah, you know, all philosophy is limited. It's a limited way of talking about something that's beyond words beyond thought. So, nonetheless, those who speak about that, as imperfectly as speech is in, in, in containing it or representing it, that speech still has power if they have experience there and then they speak about it. So, for example, our Goswamis have given so many philosophical arguments, but they're empowered by their experience, even though philosophy is a, is a limited vehicle. Hmm? But we get a samskar for bhakti, so that it, it all makes sense to us. We think everybody should think like this. You know, they should, and it's a good argument. I mean, objectively speaking, it's a very good argument. Uh, it's uh, it's very uh, conclusive. But why everybody won't accept it? Because they haven't got enough bhakti samskars. Not that then they'll start to reason in this way. So sometimes we tell people, just take prasad, hmm? just chant. You don't have to think. This is the beginning. They get a sung scar, and then their thinking will, their reasoning will come around in a, in, a, in a certain way. So, so our position at any rate is, is that we have been influenced by ragavakti. So this is our ideal, but we aren't really driven by taste. So, this is where the two paths again have a crossover, hmm? where we do the. The actions of rag bhakti, uh, of, of vaidhi bhakti, hearing and chanting, our basic motivation is we would like to attain intimacy and love with Krishna, and we're following someone who teaches that, embodies that. Mm-hmm. But we have to incorporate certain practices from bhakti, from from vaidhi bhakti, mm-hmm. and and deal with our particular, you know 
the motivating factor in our lives, hmm? which we I should get up and chant because it's the right thing to do, uh, not getting up spontaneously. Hmm? But we have we we maintain the same orientation for ragmarg. So this is kind of a mixing of vaidhi and rag, which is almost inevitable. Hmm? You understand? A mixing. We're not taking the path of vaidhi bhakti in the sense of it going to Baikuntha. We're taking we're dealing with our reality hmm? and the fact that we've been touched by rag bhakti. So we are rag bhaktas, hmm? but we are not fully ripe. And even in terms of eligibility to incorporate even all the practices of rag bhakti, hmm? so we do the standard practices of vaidhi bhakti, but we have our ideal to attain intimacy with Krishna, and gradually our eligibility increases, and our taste, longing, ruchi, greed, if you will, eagerness for that alone, starts to become the driving force, hmm? and um, so. These are the basic paths. So your question is about um, how there can be rag bhakti in Vaikuntha, right? And in Matura and Dwarka. Matura and Dwarka. So the abode of Krishna is, is thought to have three basic uh, centers. Dwaraka, the metropolitan area. Matura, which is also a metropolitan area, but he, he stayed there only a short time. And then Vrindavan, which is the rural area. Hmm? And they are, Krishna is said to be perfectly manifest in Dwarka, more perfect in Mathura, and most perfect in Vrindavan, which means according, corresponding with the love he's appearing. Hmm? So the full face of Rag Bhakti is in Vrindavan. But there's, it's on a spectrum, and we're kind of talking about it as a, as a spectrum too. We're talking about ourselves, general devotees, as, as being on the path of rag without any ruchi, without any, but it's kind of an oxymoron because it's without taste, without spontaneity. You're on the spontaneous path, <laughs> so you've been, you've been. That idea has captured you, so you have to follow it. But then you have to follow it according to where you're at, also, appropriately. So, so you dutifully perform the different um, services and so forth. But. Our extreme goal, our ultimate goal in Vrindavan, full face of Rag Bhakti, Rag is nonetheless on the spectrum. So in Dwarka, in Mathura and Dwarka, and even in Baikuntha, there is some some Rag on the spectrum. Therefore, Prahlad is described by Jiva Goswami as a Rag Bhakta in Baikuntha. It, it doesn't mean the full idea of Rag as I was speaking about it earlier in terms of having a relationship and intimacy with with Krishna. But the the spontaneity, if you will, in relation to well, Prahlad is a devotee of Krishna. He's just not a Vrindavan devotee of Krishna. So so Dwaraka, Mathura, uh, these you have the queens, for example, you have the gopis in Vrindavan, and you have the queens of Krishna in Dwaraka. So the queens of Krishna in Dwaraka, they're also in Madhurya Rasa. Hmm? They're in conjugal love with Krishna. But they have rag bhakti mixed with vaidhi bhakti. That's called samanjasa, this type of... Another way of thinking about it is, is well, I talked about the self-forgetfulness. They don't have self-forgetfulness there. 
Therefore, to give an example, Rukmini, the principal queen of Krishna in, in Dwarka, she wanted to marry Krishna, but she couldn't just run off with him because that would be against the, the Vedic Dharma and so forth. So, when she was, was betrothed to another and she was waiting for the marriage to take place, she wrote a letter to Krishna and sent it to with a Brahmin and the Brahmin took the letter and the letter said, please kidnap me. There's a type of kidnapped wedding. Hmm? What do they call it? Something like that. That there's different types of weddings uh, you know, in, the, in, the, in the Vedic Dharma of how to do things. So one of them is if you get kidnapped by somebody, then you know it doesn't mean it in a negative way. But um, he, I guess, he knocks you off your feet and whatever, and doesn't ask any questions. Uh, they don't do the astrological charts or anything, but it, it's possible. Hmm? So, so she played, prayed, you know, do this. I want to stay within the boundaries of what's Vedic, and if you can come and kidnap me during the wedding and steal me away, you know, then this was her idea. But the gopis, they didn't think like that. They heard the flute of Krishna, they just, they just went. Hmm? They knew they were breaking the Dharma entirely, but they didn't care. Hmm? So they were self-forgetful. Rukmini was calculative a little bit, and she had a sense of self hmm, that the gopis were devoid of, in a sense. Their, their desires are entirely one with Krishna's. Their whole, all, the, all their desires are are Krishna's desires. There's no difference between them. This is the this is there called saman, sam, samartarati. Hmm? In samanjasa, then it's different. Then there's some sense of my individual self. This is how an example of how it manifests. So that's a form of rag bhakti mixed with vaidhi. So on a spectrum, you're going to find from Dwarka to Vrindavan. In Vrindavan, you've got the high end of rag bhakti, and that's what Rupa Goswami talks about in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Hmm. But if you study carefully, like Bhakti Sandarbha, you see there's a whole spectrum. So in Mathura, you know, you have Kubja, for example. Hmm. Sadarana means ordinary love. She was, what's her name in Ramlila? Surpurnika. Hmm. In Ramlila. So she became Kubja. She had conjugal love with Krishna in Mathura. So there's a you kind of go from pure rag bhakti to rag bhakti mixed with piety. So if you want to become a queen of Dwarka, you, you can enter the Ramanuja Sampradaya, not our Sampradaya. In Ramanuja Sampradaya, you could become a queen. This is the high end of their Vaidhi bhakti, and it touches rag bhakti from our perspective. So there is some place for it. Hmm? But typically, what we talk about, we're talking about rag bhakti, is the, the love of Krishna's friends, love of his parents, love of the gopis in Vrindavan, this kind of self-forgetfulness uh, that's almost, uh, you have so much greed for Krishna. When you're greedy, then you do embarrassing things. So they're greedy for Krishna. They deal with him in ways that, that are embarrassing to people in Vaikuntha. How can you deal with Krishna like that? He's God. He's one of the avatars of Narayan. Hmm? You can't deal with him like that. Wrestling him to the ground, mother chastising him. What, they can't, their bhava doesn't allow them to like <laughs> understand that. Hmm. So it's embarrassing in that sense. 
So that's our ideal, rag bhakti, and 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 therefore Jiva Goswami is given a nice term. He says, ajata ruchi, raganuga bhakti. Ajata means without. Ruchi means that spontaneous taste that drives without it. It's almost like an oxymoron. How can you have you know spontaneous love without any spontaneous love <laughs> driving the force? But he says because you've been influenced by a sadhu of that type. Hmm? That's your path. That's that becomes your ideal, hmm? and then now eligibility for it increases through association and practice, and so forth. So we incorporate certain practices into our practice. For example, we make our deity Krishna rather than Narayan. Hmm? It's a simple way of thinking about it. Hmm? Um, and we, we, you know, we, 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 we read the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam, Krishna's pastimes. We further our attraction to him, and it reaches a point where you don't need so much philosophy to practice. And that's where the esoteric interpretation of the scripture and the literal one look similar. The difference, of course, is that the un, under the ground of the esoteric interpretation is the interpretive understanding of the text by which you've drawn out all the philosophical ramifications and implications and and put them into your practice and it's what's in the ground hmm? like and you know, what I'm saying is from a literal point of view you just hear the pastimes and there you go right hmm? and in, from the esoteric point of view, that's what they do they just hear the pastimes and love Krishna hmm? but in between there's some harmonizing of the heart of tender faith in the head and understanding the ground on on which that leela is is dancing is the very is the tattva the whole philosophy and theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism so to be acquainted with that as I said is part of really entering into the the esoteric life of of leela and having a part and a role to play there hmm? It's, it's, it's important. I mean, theoretically, you can say, just hear the pastimes, and that's it, and you'll go. Hmm? But often we don't see that's the case. And I'll give you another a simple example to explain it. Because they just chant Hare Krishna. So some people in some groups, they say, just chant, you know. But whenever we talk philosophy, then there's arguments. You know? Just just chant and be happy. And Prabhupada himself said, just chant and be happy. That's true. But if you took that to the extreme, what would happen? As you know, those of you who are chanting, there are, there are offenses to the chanting. There's ten nam aparads, they're called. Hmm? So you, you can chant, you won't know what those aparads are, but if you, if you get some sambandagyan, some philosophical knowledge that underlies the practice of bhakti, then you'll know them. Hmm? Hmm? So, in other words, by informing your practice with the ground of the knowledge that the Leela actually arises out of, hmm, then you are going to be better equipped to practice. Your practice will be more efficacious because you could just chant. And this is what Bhakti Vinod experienced in Bengal you're, you know, 100 years back or so. Many people chanting and everything, but they don't know, the, they don't even know the Nam Aparads, they don't know, have any Sambandagyan, and they're not getting the result. Hmm? So they think, chant Krishna, I'm born in the family of Vaishnava, chant Hare Krishna. Then we go to the Kali temple, we chant Kali, you know, it's all the same. So this would be like, for example, a Nam Aparad. 
without knowing this, they're not making progress. So if you take this same example and you play it out, obviously, becoming becoming acquainted with the scriptural argument, that's why we spend time doing this. It will help your practice. It will help your. It will help to ground your practice and engage your intellect, hmm? which also needs to be consumed by Krishna. Hmm? Right. So very important. Not everybody has to be a big scholar, but we should all have a guru. <laughs> anyway, that can answer the questions and, and uh, as they arise in us and uh, explain the philosophy in contemporary times and so forth that will help to foster our faith and conviction. Yes. Over Sabal, further. I just had one more point. You were talking about the spectrum of intimacy with Krishna goes across uh, Samanyasa Samarti. At a certain point, you know, when you get really intimate with Krishna, then you could possibly even go further and be more intimate with one of his associates, you know, in, in service to him. What's the name of that? Is it on the same spectrum? Well, it's a little different, but the idea is that um, that in, in love of Krishna, Krishna is the object of everyone's love, of the parents, of the friends, of the of the young 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 ladies and so forth. Hmm. So the question arises how do they what is their relationship with one another? They all love Krishna, but how do they feel towards one another? How's that work? Hmm. And so the answer is that there's something called suhridrati, means love of the friend. So in this love of the friend, that's why I say in bhakti you can have friends. In jnana and yoga you can't have any friends. Hmm? There's no others merging in Brahman. Hmm? In yoga there's just you sitting there meditating. Hmm? Uh, but in bhakti then, bhakti doesn't grow or proceed by detachment but by attachment. Attachment to other devotees, hmm? um, to Krishna, to so forth. So, the Sangha of devotees is very powerful. It, it, it helps us to, to progress. Hmm? And so, what we, we start to become attached to is the, is the devotional qualities and the bhakti that's manifesting in others. So, we're developing a relationship based on bhakti, and in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the end result, so there are other devotees there. And there's you, hmm? and we all love Krishna, and then the love that we that devotees have for one another, it's called a a sanchari bhav. Stai bhav is a, is the dominant emotion that defines a person as a friend, as a lover of Krishna, as a parent of Krishna. So vatsalya, madhurya, sakya, it's a dominant emotion that that, that defines the person, so to speak, in terms of its because all the persons are in relation to Krishna. Hmm? We really are a person in relation to things and others, otherwise not. So, so the stai bhav defines the person, and the sanchari bhav is a bhav or a feeling, an emotion, an ecstasy. While the stai bhav defines one, it's always there, the sanchari bhavs come and go, hmm? and they augment. It's like you might love somebody in, in romantically, and then that's the dominant feeling, and then also emotions like despondency might come or jubilation might come in the context of the relationship or other. 
So there are 33 different sancharis that have been described that come and go. Now this suridrati is a sanchari, but it doesn't come and go. It's a special kind of sanchari. So it means that the devotees have love for one another, that their love for one another augments their love for Krishna. Hmm? And we see that practically on a level of practitioners, that other, if, other, if we have no other devotees, they love Krishna, and then we, they inspire our love for Krishna. Hmm? So on a higher level, in the Leela, then the devotees have love for one another, and it augments their love for Krishna. Now, there's a special case where, there are three cases, usually the devotee loves, the devotees of Krishna are so extraordinary in the Leela that, that some devotees love Krishna a little more than their friends, just a little more, which is to say how extraordinary is the love of Krishna, of Subal, of Lalita, Radha, a little more. They love Krishna a little more. <laughs> so, then there are those that love Krishna and a, and a friend equally. Hmm? And then there are those that love the friend more than Krishna, even. That's what you're talking about. That's a very special case. So the first two cases are called instances of suhridrati, the love of the friend. And the other is the love of the third is the love of the friend, but it's called bhavolasa. He just says bhavo it's a ulas. It's a very elevated bhava. Hmm? So typically this is is the case in which devotees have conjugal love for Krishna, like Rupa Goswami as a handmaiden of Radha, loves Krishna romantically, but places himself as herself as a handmaiden to Radha to assist Radha in loving Krishna, trying to bring about the union of the two. Hmm? Rather than trying to have direct union with Krishna, knowing that Radharani fully satisfies Krishna, I'll serve her, and vicariously, whatever she experiences, it will, it will come my way, something like that. Hmm. And so, the love of Radha in that situation, who's the friend in this case, exceeds the love of Krishna. And these two, suddenly the Sanchari becomes like the Stai, and the Stai for Krishna becomes like the Sanchari. So the love of Krishna starts to fuel the love of Radha. Hmm. The opposite way around, something like this. It's a very peculiar um, type of uh, love of, of God that's the prominent form of conjugal love in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Does that help? Yes. yes. Just going back to the original question a little bit, just to see if I'm thinking about this right. We were talking about it in relation to stuff you were reading, and anyway, I'm not going to say so much, but mainly what I mean is. Seems like rock bhakti, they're willing to break the rules, but on Vaidhi bhakti, they want to stay just like within the parameters of the rules. Doesn't mean your love's not strong. I mean, I guess you really can love your husband, but you're not going to break any of the rules of etiquette. Whereas rock bhakti, those things can and do like fall to the side. Is that to some extent? I'm like I was saying, you know, within the larger context of the worshiping God, you're not going to wrestle with God or you're not going to chastise him like a mother chastises, chastises a child. Hmm? 
um, and the romantic affairs of the gopis with Krishna, they're kind of like, kind of off the map, so to speak, the scriptural map. So I, Vrindavan, this is a very special hidden kind of realm, and that's the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was so extraordinary because he's opening the gates for that opportunity to go there. It's not the typical opportunity that's offered. So it's uh, when Uddhava was, who was Krishna's counselor in Vrindavan, he was Shastravid, he knows all the Shastra, he went to Vrindavan to give a message to the gopis. He realized Krishna sent me here to actually learn something from them and their, and their love for Krishna. Hmm? And he said, it's, it's like Shruti-bhir-bhrigyam, it's off the map of the scripture. It's like beyond it. Hmm? Something like that. Uh, so, in that sense. That doesn't mean that, that rag-bhakti means there's no rules or anything like that. There are the rules for rag-bhakti, too. <laughs> so, hmm. it's not a throwing out of all. Yeah, I'll, I'll Yeah. But like, we wouldn't go back and then, like, say, get, like, so Krishna, I, I mean, I, I don't know what his... Uddhu wouldn't do that. Yeah, he wouldn't do that. Yeah, he's in Dasya Bhakti and some... He's a friend, but some he Sakya. Or I guess he's a servant. Yeah. He prayed that if he could become a blade of grass in Vrindavan and the gopis would step on him, then the intensity of their love would come into his love with Krishna. Yes? Um, I asked you this question a long time ago, but I can't find the recording, so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about it. Um, every day when I read the scriptures, there's always every, all over the place, Krishna's, that these uh, great devotees worship the lotus feet of Krishna, or the dust of the lotus feet of Krishna, or the toes of the lotus feet of Krishna. And I was wondering why it's always the lotus feet and um, not just Krishna. Well, yeah, there's different ways to answer that, but one way to answer that is that the, the feet are the lower part of the body, and in, 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 in that culture, often it was a barefoot culture. Krishna in particular was barefooted, going out herding cows. He always went barefooted. Hmm. And so, when he, therefore, in, if you look, and you go in India, you go to Vrindavan, there's so many old, old temples, hundreds of years old and so forth, and there's a, there's a pump outside, a hand pump. That's for washing your feet before you go in the temple. Hmm. But nowadays people don't use it because they wear shoes, and so their feet are relatively clean. But if you've been walking around Vrindavan all the time barefooted, then your feet would be dirty, right? Hmm. So, the lotus, then, is also thought to be the symbol of beauty, in, uh, in, in the sacred text. And it's a very beautiful flower. So Krishna's face is compared to a lotus, his eyes to a lotus, right? He's got lotus hands, he's lotus hair. It means he's really beautiful. So, but the lotus feet means even his feet hmm, are beautiful. Even the dust from his feet and from his toenails come these rays of light and so forth that they're, that can and uh, shed light on, you know, and dispel all the darkness in your in your life and so forth. So it's a way of saying that uh, everything about him is is, is is perfect, something like that. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Simple answer, yeah. Yes? Um, in line with that, um, Sridhar Maharaj writes about this verse from the Rig Veta, that Vishnu Paramam Param seeing Krishna's lotus or becoming conscious of Krishna's lotus feet over our heads at all times. 
Yeah. You equated it to the, the sun being over our heads at all times. This one lecture I was listening to. Mm. But, and you were talking about how our support needs to be from above, and our support is really Krishna's feet, so we get his, <laughs> why his feet? And his eyes on the bottom of his feet, yeah. seeing everything. <laughs> yeah? That, it, that he does have eye, that he sees through his feet. He can see through his feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, so, that's a famous Rig Veda mantra. It's, 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 it's more of a general theistic statement that, that um, and the sun is used as an example. So, that's, so the sun is, so much we're deriving from the sun. Everything we're deriving from, from, from God. So without sun, we wouldn't have vegetation, we wouldn't have rain. We, you know, it's... it's it's at the same time. It's hard to approach the sun. It's you can't look at it, you know, at noon or in the afternoon, morning, um, entirely. So it's a kind of a metaphor for God, and so that it, it follows that Rig Veda mantra that the God is always above. We're always walking underneath, and, and He knows everything. He sees everything. So it's a it's a general mantra actually for leading your life as if. Someone's watching, yeah. and he's actually a, a well-wisher. Like someone had told me once that we were we were chanting, and it was an Indian, I think Indian Hindu's home here in North Carolina, and and then uh, I gave a talk, and then he said afterwards, "Swami, I was thinking that the spiritual life should be private, and not take it into the public." And so I said, "Actually, the spiritual life there should be no difference between the private and the public." That is the idea of real spiritual life. Hmm? Mm -hmm. And so, to use another example, we go to the temple, people say, what do you need a temple for? You're going to spend all this money to, to build a temple? God needs a temple? What does God need a temple for? Hmm? And you're going to ask money for God to, buy, to, to offer food to God? What does God need food in a temple? Why don't you give food to the poor people? Instead of building a temple, why don't you build a hospital? Hmm? God doesn't need a temple. In one sense, it's true, God doesn't need a temple. But you need a temple. Hmm? Because you may say God is everywhere. God's everywhere, what does he need a temple for? Hmm? But you don't act as if God's everywhere. Because if you, God was everywhere watching you, you'd act differently. <laughs> and he is everywhere, but you don't see him. So we need some place to say, he's here, come here. Focal point, hmm? and then if you worship the deity properly, in time you will see the universality of your deity also, and then you'll act as if he's everywhere because you'll be seeing him everywhere. Hmm? So, like he's above, looking down, everything, observing, something like that. We should live our life like that, not in an ominous, you know, he's watching, he's friendly, so. Hmm? <laughs> He's asking you to act in your own self-interest. Why are you acting against your own self-interest? Have you ever thought of doing something and understood with your intelligence that it wasn't good for you, but then done it anyway? Have you ever done that once? Maybe. So that's our predicament. That's what we do. So if you've got a friend that says, hey, what are you doing that to yourself for? I always look at it like that, rather than God saying, why aren't you following me? Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you, 
Even with your intelligence, you could understand it's not in your interest. Why, why are you doing this? Don't act like that. So something like that. He's always watching us as a friend. So be, be good to yourself. Use your intelligence. <laughs> You're a smart person, right? Something like that. Okay. So what's the time? Twelve thirty, just in time. Okay. Thank you very much. Nice to be with all of you. Sri Sri Gorada Madhava Ki Jai, Sri Daji Gopal Ki Jai, Sri Gornatananda Ki Jai, Jai Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai, Sri Rakshak Sri Dev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai, Thakur Bhakti Vinod Ki Jai, Bhakti Vinod Parivar Ki Jai, Gopakta Vrinda 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 Ki Jai, Gopakta Vrinda